Hey everyone, this is Michael from the future, recording this in a very, very hot room. I just wanted to start this episode off with a correction, because unfortunately we did make a major mistake in this episode. Mafia 1 and 2 writer uh, Daniel Vavra is going to be referred to in this episode as David Vavra, which is not his name. It is, it is Daniel Vavra. Major mistake on my part. I don't know how I managed to pull that one off, but you're going to be constantly hearing the name David throughout here, and you will probably be very confused if you try to Google that person and you get a random writer that is not Czech at all. So in the event that you're wondering about that, that's that's the reason. So apologies about that to Daniel Vavra. Uh, that's a very silly mistake on my part. And uh, But other than that, I hope you all enjoy the episode. Hey, everybody, how y'all doing? I'm Michael, joined by Alex as always. How's it going? And this is Fallen Through Plot Holes, a podcast about video game plot lines and how they have a tendency to go off the rails. How you doing, Alex? I'm doing pretty good. Good, good. Yeah, I'm doing pretty good myself. I have now freshly moved into a new place. I've spent the past 30 minutes trying to figure out a good... Uh, set up to dampen echoes in this room because mm. I now have to figure that one out again. Right, right. I am currently surrounded by blankets. Uh, thankfully, it's not the old style where I used to throw a blanket over me to record. Mm. So I'm not also dying of heat exhaustion right now. Yeah, that one had logistical problems. It really did. I remember when I did that during the heat dome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe one of the dumbest things I ever did. Go me. <laughs> But thankfully, not having to worry about that. So uh, for you, the viewer, hopefully the audio is not too echoey. And if it is, they'll fix it sometime. Moving's difficult. I had a lot of things to focus on, such as writing today's episode. Alex, I'm pretty excited about today's episode because it's about a game series that I honestly love. Probably mm. far more than I should. But to begin with it, Alex. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to uh, share an expression that I think you're very familiar with. Okay. Crime doesn't pay. Okay. Not not in the sense that you commit crimes and have paid for them, but in the sense that you've I'm undoubtedly have heard this phrase before. Right. Yes. Yes. I have. Um. I I have amended it to my own version, which is mm-hmm. crime absolutely does pay, but getting caught is very expensive. Yes. Yes. <laughs> It absolutely does pay. Oh my god, <laughs> Alex, are you are you familiar with where this uh, this expression comes from? I don't think I am actually. No. So it's interesting. Um, this is a phrase that has its origins in the 19th century. Uh, specifically, it first showed up in the year 1860 in a British newspaper. Before a couple of years later, showing up in a couple of East Coast newspapers in the United States. Okay. Now, the phrase itself refers to the idea that whatever financial gain you ultimately get from committing a crime, the consequences you suffer from the crime will always outweigh it. Mm-hmm. Now, these consequences aren't often things such as facing justice or going to jail, 
but rather refers to an even more personal consequence, uh, such as the weight of your actions on your conscience or losing your family and your friends because of said actions. Mm -hmm. uh, the point is that no matter how fun or lucrative your crime spree is, it's eventually all going to go away and leave you in a worse position than you started. Now, Alex, as you already said, real life isn't always like this. Because <laughs> if anything, boy, does crime pay. Yeah, this, this comes off very much as like, how do I say this? People who have a lot trying to convince people not to steal their stuff. Oh, yeah. On shaky moral grounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? Yeah, like, no, please don't try to use illicit methods to get back at us. <laughs> we like our millions of dollars where they are. Yeah, it absolutely comes off like that. And really, if anything, it's it's a lot of these people that kind of prove that crime does indeed pay. Like, mm -hmm. In fact, often it pays quite a bit. Yeah, especially if you're, like, professional about it. Oh, yeah. In fact, to give you an example of somebody who's professional about this, Henry Hill, a mobster mm. and later police informant, uh, and the subject of the movie Goodfellas, would eventually get paid roughly half a million dollars for the rights to his life story for said movie. <laughs> and after the film's release, he enjoyed a very drunken life as a minor celebrity <laughs> until his death. Like, just to give you a pretty good example of that. Now, part of the reason, though, that crime does pay is that there's one thing Americans love more than anything in the world, Alex. Mm -hmm. It's criminals. Yes. We love the hell out of a criminal. Sure do. We love them in our books, our TV shows, both fictional and documentaries, our movies, and hell, we've even elected a couple of them. Yeah. Now, when I say American loves criminals, I do mean this in two different ways. For instance, for ser serial killers, it's less of an affectionate love. Right. Except for some really weird people anyways. Yeah. But more of an unhealthy fascination with them. And all I have to do to prove that point is to direct your attention to the Netflix show Monster, which explores <laughs> a dramatized version of Jeffrey Dahmer's life, down to actually recreating victim impact statements, something that attracted significant controversy <sighs> due to said victims being very much alive, uh -huh. but at the same time was very successful for Netflix, resulting in the show being renewed for a second season, and them definitely not learning their lesson. Yep, yep, good times. <laughs> Good times. Now, when it comes to actually loving criminals, like love, love criminals, mm -hmm. Americans seem to gravitate towards two different and not necessarily mutually exclusive types of criminals. Either you have your Robin Hood types, those lies whose lives are often embellished or straight up lies like Jesse James or mm -hmm. the Fox version of Robin Hood. Mm hmm. And the other, and once again, not necessarily mutually exclusive type, are the criminals who are down on their luck in some way or another, usually fighting against the system that has wronged them for either legitimate or illegitimate reasons, and their crimes are more of a means of making things right, either for themselves or their families or what have you. Uh, to give you two pretty diametrically opposite versions, Han Solo from Star Wars is one of these characters. Mm-hmm. Or if you want something more ambiguous, Walter White from Breaking Bad is also one of these characters. Now, both the real-life Jesse James and the fictional Walter White are actually perfect examples of all this, because they all both end up proving the expression, crime doesn't pay true, which is kind of sad that we're using a fictional character to prove that expression true, but follow me. <laughs> For Jesse James, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Jesse James at all. Vaguely, I haven't studied it too much. 
I don't blame you. He's he's an asshole. Um, <laughs> he basically went from having the oddulation. He was a cowboy, a cowboy right. and a criminal. Yes. Uh, who basically had the oddulation of the entire state of Missouri. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, literally the entire state. As he robbed and killed his way through various banks and train robberies before literally losing all of his brothers and being shot in the back by a coward. <laughs> Walter White ostensibly started producing and selling meth to support his family after he died only to find that it's fed his worst narcissistic personality traits until he eventually lost said family. So here's the crime doesn't pay sort of aspect. They right. started from small times, got really big, then lost it all. And were worst off at the end. Mm-hmm. Now, it's this type of character that I want to focus on for today's topic, because it's this kind of story and characters that has basically powered an entire genre of films, TV, and literature. And Alex, I'm talking about the mafia story. Oh, boy. Yeah, I'm sure you have seen a Mafia movie at some point in your life. Yes. Yeah, they are incredibly, incredibly popular. And to be specific, uh, there's various types of Mafia out there. But for our purposes, when we talk about the Mafia, we're talking about the American Italian Mafia. Mm -hmm. An organization based primarily out of the cities of New York, Boston, Philadelphia, and Chicago. But with a reach that extends all throughout the Midwest, Las Vegas, and even cities such as Seattle and San Francisco. Uh, the Mafia has always held a fascination with the American public, particularly during the height of their power from the 1960s to the 1990s, for a couple of reasons. One is that, unlike other criminal gangs, the Mafia had a code and sense of honor, or according to them, they did stuff uh-huh. like, oh, we wouldn't sell certain drugs to certain people, oh, we would only murder people if we absolutely had to, stuff that was, when money became involved, became very fungible, but right. that's what they did. Uh, they also had a very significant organization with a hierarchy in it as well. And if there's another thing that Americans love, it's a good org chart. They sure do. The second was that they were rather secretive, which kind of added to their allure. Mm-hmm. And three, they theoretically served as a way for young, scrappy, and down-on-their-luck, mostly Italian men, to find their way to positions of power and prestige, and to do so with their own natural ability. Something that, alongside with this being an American organization, is like catnip for Americans. Mm-hmm. We love a story about somebody bringing themselves up by their own bootstraps, whether it's true or not. Mm-hmm. Another aspect that made them popular is that in the 80s and 90s, their veil of secrecy started to be pierced, with trials such as the Pizza Connection trial, a trial that is a lot less fun than the name suggests, And the Mafia Commission trial, as well as the criminal prosecution of Gambino crime boss John Gotti, gave Americans a glimpse into the lives of Mafia members, and also showed them facing consequences in a very public fashion. This very storybook rise and fall of these gangsters meant that their stories, or fictionalized versions of them combined with their all-time high in interest from the American public, made them an obvious choice for a new genre of film. The Mafia movie. Alex, as I already, we already said, people love Mm. Mafia movies. And there are too many of them. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's fair to say. Now, there's too many of them for a reason, because a lot of them are incredibly good and incredibly influential. Mm -hmm. Uh, Movies like The Godfather, Goodfellas, Casino, The Departed, uh, Mobtown, which is not necessarily critically acclaimed, but it's there. (laughs) American Gangster. I could literally go on and on. And... All these movies follow a very similar thing of somebody rising out of obscurity, getting power, money, prestige, and then falling from grace, right? And like, 
this particular type of archetype and this particular type of character arc doesn't extend necessarily just movies about the American Mafia. People also like movies about other crime families that follow a similar track, such as Escobar and Scarface and the million Yakuza movies, mm-hmm. all feed into the American fascination with one type of story. A story of somebody coming from poor circumstance, gaining money and power, reaching a height, becoming corrupted, and then falling back down to earth as they learn that crime doesn't pay. It's honestly kind of a morbid fascination in and of itself. Because mm-hmm. it's like, it is simultaneously feeding our love of an underdog overcoming their circumstances. Mm-hmm. But also feeding our fascination with, like, big shots getting their comeuppance. Mm-hmm. Of, like, you root for that person up to a certain point, and then you root for them to fall. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like a weird melding of two things that Americans love. Yeah. Powerful people getting a fall and scrappy underdogs rising up. And yeah, it's a yeah, it's a really weird melding of the two. Yeah. On top of, of course, just like the fact that we just really love salacious elements of like murder and mm-hmm. drugs and sex and what also, yes. Yeah. Needless to say, we're outside the heyday of of mafia movies. Mm-hmm. Like they're still getting made. Like Martin Scorsese is still a director and he is yep. still putting out a <laughs> lot of these movies. Leonardo DiCaprio still needs to still needs to get paid. Mm-hmm. And they're still being made to great acclaim, but we're definitely outside of their heyday. But despite that, they're still popular, and it's only natural because of this that during the 90s and up into the 2000s, somebody was eventually going to try to make a video game version of a mafia movie. Now, Alex, using the idea of organized crime as a backdrop for video games might as well be as old as video games itself. Mm-hmm. But its implementation was much more simple back in, say, the 80s and most of the 90s. Uh, Namely, the mafia would be villains, and Mm. you as, say, a cop, Mm. or a dude just with a gun, or a wrestler mayor and his ninja friend, or whatever, (laughs) would just go and beat them up until you solved crime forever. Right. They They were set dressing, basically. And that's how it was for most of the 80s and 90s. But as the PlayStation 1 started to mature in the late 90s, it was only a matter of time before someone decided to do The Godfather, but a video game. Uh, Before somebody actually literally did that with The Godfather video game. And that's where we finally get to our topic. The very generically titled, and very difficult to actually Google, (laughs) Mafia series. Alex, have you ever played any of the Mafia games? I don't think that I actually have. They're weird. <laughs> yeah, I re- so I remember when Mafia 3 was coming out, there was a lot of hype around it. And I went, mm-hmm. huh, when Mafia 2 came out, I heard this game kind of sucked, but people seemed really excited. Let me mm-hmm. look into this. Is the Mafia series good? And the answer came back, not really, but, <laughs> but kind, but, mm. It's a game that is bad in a myriad of ways. <laughs> All three of the games in the series are bad in a myriad of ways, mm-hmm. but there are elements of them that are either so weird or just so strongly done mm-hmm. that it makes them, in my opinion, worth playing. Mm. Uh, and that even includes Mafia 2, a game that I think is objectively bad. <laughs> yeah, I have... Um, so I've never played the original Mafia, uh-huh. uh, which I actually... Desperately do, because it's actually the weirdest of all three. Mm. Uh, but I have played Mafia 2, and I actually kind of love Mafia 3 an awful lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've 
I've actually kind of like been immersed in the series quite a bit. In fact, Mafia 3 is the, the rare modern video game that I've actually played through multiple times. Hmm. And mm-hmm. actually 100% it twice. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and once again, not because it's necessarily a great game. It is right. a very, um, as we'll explain when we actually get to that game as we talk mm-hmm. about the development of all these. Uh, as I'll get into it, there's a lot of elements that are not uh, not good and very repetitive. <laughs> but at the same time, it's something that for one reason or another, the design ethos behind all three of these games has been something where they just went, looked at what modern games were doing of how they'll make everyone's lives easier. Uh-huh. And they go, no. <laughs> <laughs> you will have to obey traffic laws. <laughs> And I think that is a big reason why I like these games. Because right. I like it when sometimes a game throws a barrier up at you and goes, mm-hmm. figure it out. It's like when people like complain in Breath of the Wild, like it right. rains and you can't climb anymore. Like for me, I'm like, all right, cool. I got to figure something out with this. Right. Yeah. It's stuff like that. It reminds me of, I used to a long time ago play Final Fantasy XI, the mm-hmm. MMORPG, the massively multiplayer RPG. Uh, Final Fantasy XI is an objectively bad game that borders on not being a game at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Final Fantasy XIV, their new one, is a vastly better game that is absolutely a game. Oh, yes. But Eleven has these weird things about it that are extremely frustrating and time-consuming, but in a mm-hmm. way that is, like, strangely more immersive. Mm-hmm. Like, the the fact that in 14, if you want to fly to another city, you go get on the airship, and after two 10-second cutscenes, you're in the other city. Mm. In 11, you need to go to the airship dock, wait in real time until the airship (laughs) arrives on a scheduled timetable, get on it with everyone else, transition to the flying level, where Mm -hmm. over the next 15 minutes, you will travel to the city and potentially be attacked by monsters, and then finally land there. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's so inconvenient for the player, and it's, it's so frustrating. It's extremely inconvenient, but it's also very, like, captivating. Yeah. Well, it reminds me an awful lot of, like, how the Elder Scrolls Morrowind did that, yeah. right? Like, with their fast travel system, which... Mm-hmm. Or just, like, how you got directions, because, like, there was never any waypoints or anything like that. So it's like, right. okay, you need to go to this town over here. It's like, okay, well, I, I'll get on the Slot Strider fast travel and go there. It's like, nope, can't get there that. You got to take a boat to this town <laughs> and to take a boat from there. Right. And it's like, all right, where do I need to find? You need to find this cave. You got to go past two of these hills and then turn to your left. And it's like, is it going to be marked on the map? It's like, hell no, it ain't. Nope. You got it. These are my directions. You go follow them. And it's great because some of the NPCs would just be wrong. And it's like, no, it's three <laughs> hills over, actually. <laughs> and it's so stupid and frustrating. And I love it. I absolutely love it because you'd actually have to use a map to find these things. Mm. Yeah. So, like, I love the fact that, like, Final Fantasy XI did something like that. Yeah. And, yeah, I think that's a reason why I like Mafia. Mafia Mm. is filled with a ton of stuff like that. So, yeah, Mafia is, it's a series that, in spite of the fact that it usually barely sells enough copies for a profit and is also owned by 2K. (laughs) Is actually still cur- like currently an ongoing series with the most recently released Mafia Definitive Edition trilogy, as mm-hmm. well as a Mafia 4 that is in active development right now. Despite the fact that they literally tried to kill the main developers, uh, Hangar 13, after uh, Mafia 3 did not sell well. Mm. They just went, actually, you know what? We changed our mind. Please make more video games. Grand Theft Auto 6 is going to be like 10 years from now. So it's... 
it is always kind of limped along. And every single time, though, it's like a new entry has come out. It's always managed to kind of capture my fascination. And mm-hmm. today we're going to be talking about the development of this before the next couple episodes will end up talking about the plots of all three games. Plots that I are literally like <laughs> the most, with the exception of Mafia 3, oddly enough. Mm-hmm. Are just like boy. Let me tell you. So let me tell you a very by the numbers mafia story, mm. which is still ends up being interesting because the first mafia game released in two thousand two, actually mm-hmm. the actual idea of somebody trying to tell a story like that was pretty novel at the time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So to start with, we need to talk to you talk about a Czech based game developer because when I think of somebody who wants yeah. to make an American mafia story, I think the Czech Republic, dude. So many amazing video games of like American genres come out of Eastern Europe. They do. It's kind of nuts when you think about it. <laughs> there's there's such an interesting fascination from that. So just like old Warsaw Pact countries mm-hmm. just being like, we're gonna just produce some weird stuff for y'all. Yep. Yeah, and um, this cu- this studio called Illusion Softworks is going to be no different about this. Now, Illusion Softworks. Um, by the time to get around to starting on Mafia in 1998, uh, they're going to have only released like one other game that's not really even particularly worth talking about right now. They basically released this game. It did well enough. And they said, cool, man, let's make a Mafia game. <laughs> and now Mafia, when it was eventually is going to come out, is a game that's going to be compared very unfavorably. It's going to review well, but it's going to be compared very unfavorably to a little game that was going to be released one year before it. Yeah, timing's kind of unfortunate on that. It's a Horizon Zero Dawn level of poor (laughs) timing of just being like, look at this incredibly cool and immersive open world game we made. And then somebody goes, yeah, but Grand Theft Auto 3 came out the year before. (laughs) And Grand Theft Auto Vice City is going to come out basically the same month as you. (laughs) Oh, so unfortunate it is so unfortunate because like those games weren't a thing when development started and they were like yeah this is a cool idea we have and then Mm -hmm. oops rockstar had the same idea and Mm -hmm. way better execution yep yep yeah so grand theft auto 3 is credited with being the first truly open world game a Mm. a um a distinction that is Kind of not true. Yeah, that's, that's, mm, I understand what people mean, but they're, yeah. they're wrong. It's more like what a modern open world game is eventually going to become. And even right. then, that's still kind of questionable. Yeah. Uh, but it still is going to be an incredibly influential video game that, once again, everything else that's going to come out after it is going to be compared either favorably or unfavorably to it. Right. Mafia itself, when it comes out, is going to be compared to, in many ways to that, even though, oddly enough, its origins are more inspired by another game series that actually inspired Grand Theft Auto itself. A little game called Driver. Mm. Driver, the uh, PlayStation game released in 1998, that um, was really more notable because it's just a game where you just drive to different places very, very fast <laughs> in an open world city, uh-huh. specifically four different cities. Uh, was an incredible hit upon its release. It was also a game that was absolutely impossible to play, mm. as its tutorial level is considered to be one of the, the toughest video game <laughs> levels in it ever made. But it's a game where 
you're just consistently in a car, just driving from place to place, accomplishing missions and whatnot, getting into various races and whatnot, destroying other cars, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the idea that you can kind of free roam a city in a car was something that was considered very impressive at the time. Its follow-up, Driver 2, also released for the PlayStation, gave you the innovation of being able to get out of your car and get to mm. other people's cars. <laughs> uh, something that, obviously, Grand Theft Auto right. 3 is going to run with. Right. Now, Grand Theft Auto 3, like the original Grand Theft Auto, was released pretty close to when Driver came out and kind of already incorporated a lot of that, those elements, albeit in a 2D sort of mm-hmm. top-down view. But either way, Driver ended up being such an influential thing that when uh, Lucian Softworks got to work on Mafia, they looked at what they were doing with that and said, okay, cool. What right. if we did that, had elements of you getting out of your car and going on missions and whatnot, and then set it in a incredibly, like, at the time anyways, realistic-looking Chicago-like city. Mm. I, I have to say, before we move away from Driver, the only mm-hmm. Driver game I've played is Driver 3. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that was one of the only times where I actively saw that a game was reviewed incredibly badly and went, mm. okay, let me see it. Let me let me rent this and yeah. let me let me see. Let me see how bad oh, okay. Yep. Yep. No, it's bad. That's bad. That's a bad game. Cool. It is very amazing how Driver just started out as this game chasing sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then literally within like three to four years, everyone was like, boy, Driver is real bad, ain't it? <laughs> Don't think I've ever seen a game series have that quick of a turnaround. Yeah, it was it was swift. It was very, very swift. So yeah, Digital Soft, uh, uh, digital, uh, Illusion Softworks uh, got started on making this game. And so their focus on all of this was, okay, we want to set this in this in this city, and we mm-hmm. want it to be this like hard boiled mafia story, right? And so, because of that, we want the city to basically be as realistic as possible for the era, okay? And make it something that really more factors into uh, the story of the game, as opposed to from like a pure level design sort of way, right? Uh, this is something that's actually very ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. A lot of open world spaces nowadays kind of follow this design ethos of making it more. Uh, real life like to right. take an example of this grand theft auto 3 there's mm-hmm. three different cities that you visit i guess suburbs really or right parts of the city of liberty city that you visit there like obsessively it's based upon new york and it barely follows what new york even is <laughs> it's really more built to still facilitate good level design and like yes. enjoyable gameplay and whatnot right which is something that a year later, Grand Theft Auto would actually ditch entirely for Vice City, a city that actually feels very much like Miami. Mm-hmm. And in turn, when I played it, thought the city was a lot more boring because it's like, oh, the streets are actually laid out in a sensible fashion. <laughs> yeah, Mafia actually got started on that first. Yeah, and like, I, I really actually like that design. It does make playing through the game more drawn out or boring or whatever, but like... Mm-hmm. When I play Grand Theft Auto V, which mm-hmm. I don't think is an especially good game, yeah, I think it's fine. But I do, I think the ju- the work they did making the city feel like a city with its own like life cycle mm-hmm. was really good and very effective. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, no, it, it turns out that actually going that route is probably more effective for the player just in terms of mm-hmm. immersion alone. Even if you're sacrificing like. And this is 
this is really subjective, good gameplay or what have right. you. Yeah, so I think ultimately it's the right decision to do that. Yeah, and Mafia, though, is going to go in even further direction because they really, once again, want to make this realistic. Mm -hmm. So it should be noted that the first Mafia is going to be released in 2002 for the PC. It's okay. actually not going to come out for the PlayStation 2 and Xbox until two years later. Mm. Kind of well after its shelf life in many ways. Right, yeah. And they're going to leverage the fact they're on the PC to make sure that the models and lighting and the general way the city looks is far more realistic than something that even Grand Theft Auto San Andreas is going to be capable of. Mm -hmm. Like, the way these two games look is kind of night and day. Right. Like, Mafia is a legitimately impressive-looking game for the time. The other thing they're going to do is that this game, which is set in the 1930s in a city called Lost Heaven, a terrible name for a city, yep. uh, that is Chicago-like, because uh -huh. it's during Prohibition, is going to also have to follow things like, hey, the cars, since they're from the 1930s, they're only able to go so fast. Right. Like, you're lucky to get 50 miles per hour. Mm -hmm. Also, you have to follow the law... And not just like, oh, you can't run over like pedestrians. Uh -huh. If you run a red light and the cops see you, they are going to pursue you. Mm. And if you pull over, you'll just get fined. But if you take them on a chase long enough, no, then they're going to try to arrest you and shoot you and all right. that. If you speed, <laughs> they will go after you. If you even if you make it improper. I, actually, I think you could you can make improper turns. But uh -huh. they, basically, you have to follow traffic laws. Right. Which was something that people, some people found like very endearing, like mm -hmm. myself, and other people thought was very stifling and stupid. Right. Like a lot of other people. <laughs> I, I will say going back to Grand Theft Auto V, which does not enforce traffic laws at all, mm -hmm. I often kind of had that thought of like, well, that's kind of weird. I can just run red lights and go 90 miles an hour in front of cops and they're just like, yeah, whatever, man. Yeah, right. But at the same time, as soon as you get one star, it's like, okay, they're going to chase you to the death. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They get super aggressive all of a sudden. <laughs> it's like there, there is no paying a ticket in Grand Theft Auto. No. It's like they, they will either arrest you or kill you. Yes. One or the other. Th these cops are zero tolerance. They are, uh, oh God, they are, they are broken fences laws like, yes. just all throughout that place. It's crazy. Yes. Um, broken glass, actually. Broken glass laws. That's what mm -hmm. they're called um yeah yeah whereas mafia definitely not like that and like once again it's also reflected in the city like grand theft auto was very much still like an arcade game like it still followed its grand theft auto one and two routes in the sense of like hey there's gonna be a lot of side activities to do you could drive taxis mm -hmm. you could be a firefighter you can actually be a police officer if you <laughs> wanted to there's different little side missions everywhere mafia is like you got 20 missions mm -hmm. um each mission is going to be broken down to its own bespoke areas, but uh, they're there to serve the story and nothing else. <laughs> right. Like, it was a very much a point A to point B game. You weren't really meant to explore the city. The city was a backdrop. That's mm. all it was. Which and I like, fr from the standpoint of a Mafia movie, honestly, all this kind of makes sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it, it totally does. It, it totally does. And I, I think, um, and I, I don't think it's like, and a wrong way of going about it either. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I did feel like when they applied that to Mafia 2, mm. let's get the first Mafia game I played, I remember thinking that the city felt awfully empty. Although, to be fair, it was also awfully empty for other reasons we're going to get to soon. Right. So, Mafia is going to sell decently well. 
mm-hmm. when it comes out. Uh, it's going to sell roughly about 2 million copies. Okay. The PC version is going to be very well regarded. Mm. The PlayStation 2 and Xbox version, not so much. Mm. There were significant graphical downgrades to make the game work on those consoles. Right. On top of the fact that at that point, 2004, I believe, was the year that San Andreas came out. Yeah. And, oh boy, that's ooh not boy. a good look. Nope. Not going up against Vice City was bad. Yeah. Oof. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Neil say it it got slagged in some magazines, not all of them. Right. For being a Grand Theft Auto clone. But I mean, like, this was the era where you were lucky to get a console port of a PC game and the freaking mm-hmm. PS2 version of Half-Life, mm-hmm. one of the most amazing PC games ever made, was like meh. Yeah. It's kind it was kind of poor, because what unsurprisingly it yeah. wasn't really made for that nope oh man if only we gotten the dreamcast version of half-life like we deserved that <laughs> actually had mouse and keyboard support yeah yeah it's like that or like red faction oh yeah speaking of, speaking of play well actually i think the playstation 2 version of red faction is actually okay it's, it's okay yeah it's um so yeah uh, regardless so this ended up being successful enough that uh they're going to go ahead and start getting to work on a Mafia 2. But before we get to that, we should probably talk about the lead writer for Mafia, and for Mafia 2, for that matter. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we got to talk about a man by the name of David Vavra. So David is a Czech writer and designer, born in 1975 in uh, then the communist regime uh, that uh, occupied Czechoslovakia. Uh, He joined Illusion Softworks as a 2D artist in 1998 before being assigned to Mafia, where he just, as it is the norm in 90s game development, immediately became the lead designer, screenwriter, and director. (laughs) Yep, that's how they did it. That's how they did it. Now, this is probably going to be a good thing because originally how this game's plot was going to go was that you were originally going to be a police officer taking down the the Mafia. Hmm. Uh, David looked at that and said, that's dumb. Okay. We should make it like a mafia movie and you yep. be a mafia member. Okay, correct read. Very good. Yep. And to give you just kind of like the TLDR of this, obviously we'll go over the plot of the game um, more thoroughly next week. Uh, you basically play a cab driver who ends up helping out a couple of mobsters, ends up getting introduced into the mafia, and then of course, get riches, get a fall from grace, and eventually learn crime doesn't pay. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, the script and writing for Mafia was highly praised at the time. It, it is a little rotten by the numbers, once again. Mm, sure. But given that nothing, given at the time, like, like Grand Theft Auto 3 barely had a plot, honestly. Right. And Vice City, while its plot was all right, it was literally just Scarface. Uh-huh. Like, you really can't exactly fault anybody for saying, oh, hey, you know, this, this is actually pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, it was sort of like one of the first mafia movie video games mm-hmm. yeah yeah and it told its story effective enough so for mafia 2 he's going to resume these roles uh however after the company is going to be bought by 2k about midway through development he's going to immediately start butting heads with management uh and to be fair as um we're gonna find out he's he he's kind of a dick mm. uh he, so he's going to leave halfway through development. Now, the game Mafia 2 is going to still use his script for the most part. Uh, it's going to cut out a significant chunk of the beginning, which granted um, probably should have been. 
the beginning of the game basically takes place in Sicily during World War II, and you play the American soldier, and it's literally like one mission, and uh-huh. that's enough. Yeah, apparently, it's supposed to be like a two-hour affair initially. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and the ending itself is also going to be changed as well. Now, uh, David is going to go on to form Warhorse Studios in 2011 after this, and he's going to actually develop the game uh, along with other people, obviously. Kingdom Come Deliverance, a game uh-huh. that is very well regarded, he's uh-huh. director and writer for, and also a game that has a significant amount of controversy that we're not going to get into. Mm-hmm. Yep. That being said, uh, it would be remiss if I did not also mention that part of the reason why he does come off as a bivadic is that he tends to very ardently defend his points of view on Twitter. Mm. Uh, and he also is pro Gamergate. Uh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, uh-huh. I should say that some of the articles I've written on it he does have a bit more of a nuanced take than most gamer gators, I will say. Mm-hmm. Um, granted, a lot of these were written at the start of Gamergate, like the first few couple months that went in there. Right. So it's when things were people were giving them a little bit more rope than he probably should. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of his thoughts came is that he was basically anti-censorship. And he related that to his experiences growing up the com- under the communist regime of Czechoslovakia. Right. Which, I have to admit, I'm going to give somebody a little bit more credit if they grew up under a communist regime, saw the repression that was, particularly Czechoslovakia, a country that underwent a ton of that mm-hmm. in the 70s and 80s. Sure. Uh, and comes out of it being like, no, I think any censorship sucks. Right. I get that. That being said, he also compared Anita Sarkeesian to Nazis <laughs> and basically thought Zoe Quinn was faking everything. And- right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's not great. It's not great. So I'm going to mention that it is out there. We are going to move on and talk just about Mafia 2 in general. Yes, let's let's go back to talking about the the likable crime family. Yes, the very likable crime family. So Mafia 2 takes place more in instead of fake uh, Chicago, it takes place in fake New York. Mm. Uh, First in 1945 and then later in the early 1950s. Okay. Uh, the fake New York, by the way, is the much better titled Empire Bay. Oh, yeah, that's good. Yeah, not the best name they're going to have, but it's a step up. It's good. Yeah, and basically tells the story of Italian-American Vito Scaletti as, once again, he rises through the ranks of the mafia, get, gets everything, everything falls apart, and learns that crime doesn't pay. It, now, this game is very interesting in the sense of that it was released in 2007 for basically all platforms, uh, a PC, PlayStation 3, Xbox 360. Mm-hmm. I played the PC version myself. And uh, it was a game that was notably very good looking for its time. Mm. In fact, I think graphically it still kind of holds up, uh, even without the definitive edition. Mm-hmm. Uh, and two, followed the Mafia ethos to a core. Like, they loosened up a few things. Mm-hmm. You you could a little bit more freely speed, for instance. Mm. But not by much. You still got to follow traffic laws. Right. Uh, it also keeps the idea of like, well, though, the city should serve the the narrative and not the other way around. Mm-hmm. Uh, a fact that ended up being a little bit less acceptable around this time. One of the main criticisms of the of this game is that the city is incredibly empty. Mm. There's like only two shops where you can buy clothes and one of them is just not readily apparent unless you just stumble upon it. Mm. 
There was also uh, side missions that were cut at the absolute last minute and shuffled off to DLC that made Uh. the game very empty. Like there's like a car chopping game, mini game that's in there that like one of the characters you meet is like he sets up like a very prominent character, like this old man who's like, yeah, I'll help you chop cars. And it just never comes up (laughs) ever again. Unless you got the DLC. Mm hmm. So, yeah, it's not particularly great about that. Uh, this game also just kind of got jerked around a little bit by 2K as well, from what I understand. Yeah. Uh, in terms of just, like, expectations. Remember that 2K is also the uh, the publishers of Grand Theft Auto. Right. And also, I believe 2007 is when Grand Theft Auto 4 came out. Yeah, it... <sighs> On, honestly, Grand Theft Auto is kind of the biggest albatross around Mafia's neck. Mm-hmm. Everyone always expects it to be Grand Theft Auto, including its own publisher. Yep. And it's like, that's not that's not what's happening here. It's not. And it's also really, really like unfortunate because Grand Theft Auto takes place in Liberty City again. But this mm-hmm. time, they actually make it feel like New York. Right. In a way that blows Mafia 2's attempt out of the water. Yeah. While also having a bunch of, well, I think people are going to dispute me on this. I think are fun side missions <laughs> like bowling and stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm the weirdo who enjoyed hanging out with his cousin. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, yeah, it's just not a favorable comparison. Nope. Its story is also better, in my opinion. Mm. So, yeah, it. Mafia 2 is very, very unfortunate being put up against each other. But that being said, it's a story that involves a lot about kind of like v, uh, the main character Vito and his his best friend Joe and whatnot and their trials and tribulations and whatnot. Even if it is still kind of a rote Mafia story, mm-hmm. something I actually really, really did enjoy. Mm-hmm. And that being said, there are some side activities that are like really, really strange. Mm-hmm. Probably my favorite one is that there are collectibles in this game. You can collect Playboys. Ah, right, right. <laughs> yes. Yep. Mafia mm-hmm. 2 is going to start the um, somewhat strange uh, <laughs> partnership between Mafia and Playboy that um, is going to be especially timely in this game because you can collect Playboys from past and present. Yeah, so it was kind of weird that you could, like, find Playboys in this game, but honestly, it sort of made sense, because as we all know, Hugh Hefner did start Playboy when he was, like, 17 or whatever. Right. Playboy, a first issue came out in 1953. That's close enough. It kind of works, but it's also like, here's this Playboy from, like, the 80s. Right. Shut up, go away. (laughs) But yeah, you could open them up and you could see nude centerfolds in there and everything. And it was just, it's always, it always came off to me as a little strange, especially because you could find some of those in the 1940s as well. Mm-hmm. Um, So yeah, like, it, it's a very, very weird tie in for a very, very weird game. That did not sell great, Alex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> a 2010 investor report uh, that 2K published noted the game was unlikely to be profitable. <laughs> so needless to say, um... We don't know how much this game actually sold, mm-hmm. but it was enough that um, uh, Illusion Softworks, now known as 2K Check, was going to be closed. And by close, it was going to be merged into basically a conglomerate of studios, of Eastern European studios, that's eventually going to form a company called Hangar 13. Okay. Hangar 13 has an incredible logo. Um, and 
they're also going to be put in charge eventually of Mafia 3. Now, what? What What's else has that studio made? Anger 13? Yeah. Great question. Let's do some research real quick. <laughs> uh, Mafia 3. Cool. Yeah, they also did the definitive edition in 2012, uh, 2020, I should say. And of course, they are working on, as Wikipedia says, Untitled Mafia game. Okay, so so 2K just conglomerated all those studios mm-hmm. into one studio so they could keep making that series that they were disappointed in the sales of. Basically, yeah. They were just like 2013, they said, you should make another Mafia game. And they went, cool, all right. We'll get okay. to work on that, I guess. <laughs> and that's exactly what they did. And now we get to my favorite game of the series. So Mafia 3 is a... It's an interesting game to me because tonally it's quite a bit different from the first two Mafia games. Hmm. It does involve the Mafia. Right. It it does involve characters from the Mafia games. But in terms of like the story and progression, it doesn't really follow the whole crime doesn't pay sort of angle. Hmm. Like there are some there's like some bits of the ending you could potentially point to. Mm hmm. But it really is more going for a much different tone with what its its entire story is about. Mm-hmm. So to give you an idea of what its story is, it takes place in a New Orleans stand in called New Bordeaux, which okay. I think is the best name of all yeah. three of the cities. Yeah, pretty good. And it follows the story of of the half Dominican, half Italian American Lincoln Clay, a man who was in Vietnam. Uh, was part of the special forces, I believe technically a Green Beret. Mm. And basically he comes back to his hometown of New Bordeaux, uh, basically watches his, ado- his adopted family get murdered, mm. and then vows revenge on the mafia members who did it. Okay. Yes, it is a... Unlike the first two mafia games, which are mafia stories, this is 100% a revenge story. Right. Interesting. Yes, and... I actually really like that angle. I really Mm. like a lot of the characters in this game. Like, I like the characters of, like, that were in, like, Mafia 2, for instance, but, like, I really like Lincoln Clay, Mm -hmm. um, his dirtbag CIA friend Donovan, uh, Father James, like, his father figure and whatnot, like, all Mm -hmm. this. Uh, Like, they're all very well realized. It's also a game that has a really good recreation of New Orleans, Mm. That I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Like, New Orleans is a really cool city with a very interesting sort of biome that yeah. more people should make video games about, honestly. Mm-hmm. And this game does a really good job of just making, like, just making a really good imprint of that. It also is told, in a, the story is also told in a very interesting way. This game takes place in 1968, but a lot of the story is told in the modern day via a documentary mm. that features, you know, fake archival footage and whatnot right. and has father james who is a uh, a catholic priest who basically just tells the story of lincoln and like the the crimes that he committed and all that in the mob and and all that sort of stuff and the racial tensions that happened in the city mm-hmm. and around the country at that time it's a very interesting framing device that's like interspersed with like also like old congressional testimonies and stuff like that they're fake fake congressional right. testimonies that really set up this game in a way that no other game really kind of tried around this time Hmm. with mafia three once again coming out in 2016 Mm -hmm. so just like 
beyond that alone, this game ends like this game's narrative is, in my opinion, one of the best there is out there. Mm. Uh, the gameplay itself also kind of ditches the whole like, hey, listen, you got to follow traffic laws. Like, you can't be completely crazy about this. Like, right. you st- if you still violate like some like some laws, they will the cops will still come after you. But they are now far more lenient. Like you could you could definitely drive on the wrong side of the street for a while and they, they mm. will not bu- bug you. Mm-hmm. It's more like if you mildly like run that red light, they don't care. If you blatantly run it, okay, they'll come after you. Mm. Uh, it also follows this thing where you're basically taking down gang territory, which involves you smashing up their businesses, eventually getting to a big set piece mission that's usually really cool, and then rinse and repeating that like twenty times, which mm-hmm. is admittedly very repetitive. But I really enjoyed it, so it's <laughs> cool. So yeah. Now, this is also a very interesting game in the sense that by the time it's released in 2016, game journalism got to the point where they did things like, let's actually interview the writers of these games. Right, yeah. Instead of, like, basically relying on random tweets from from Czech writers or, like, like basically, like, a Czech website, like, interviewing David Valvra and, like, just getting, like, a few sound bites and just leaving it at that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Red Bull, of all people actually did a really good interview with the lead writer of Mafia 3, William huh. Harms. Uh, William Harms is a comic book and video game writer. He's written for DC and Marvel, as well okay. as wrote the game Infamous. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and he was the lead writer for this game alongside two other staff writers, uh, Ed Fowler and Charles Webb, alongside two contract writers, uh, Harris Orkin and Evan Stro- uh, I'm going to definitely mispronounce his name, Evan Skolnick. Now, this interview is with Harms, not with them. So all this information comes from him, but I have no reason to doubt him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harms basically talks about how um, he was involved with writing basically all the cinematics in the game mm-hmm. alongside most of the first two hours, including in-mission dialogue and whatnot. Uh, Harris Orkin was involved in writing ancillary dialogue in scenes, uh, such as like the radio commercials that play in the game. Ed Fowler and Charles Webb were responsible for the dialogue that was in each mission outside of i believe the first two hours so like this is like one of the rare cases where it's like oh wow we actually know what each writer did like that's right, kind yeah. of rare even for like nowadays uh-huh now interesting harms himself didn't start off as a staff writer uh rather he was brought on as a contractor before at some point being promoted to a lead writer which is mm. kind of interesting mm-hmm. i don't know if he was officially hired or not but regardless he, he didn't head the entire thing mm-hmm. now as he tells it, when he started on the game, the story was completely different. Like, mm. central ideas such as the game taking place in New Orleans were already set in stone, but others, such as literally the main character of Lincoln Clay, were still up in the air. Uh, one thing that was changed was that the game initially was going to have a strong focus around the Cuban Revolution, a tie mm. that was actually quickly removed for another Caribbean island, Haiti, and their focus on voodoo. That actually mm. plays a kind of a side road uh, throughout uh, throughout the game story, huh. but th- for Lincoln Clay, given the game was set in New Orleans in 1968, uh, and Mafia tends to take place in and around turbulent periods of American history, such as Prohibition or World War II, it seemed only natural that Lincoln Clay would be a black man having to deal with issues of racism in the South. Right now, there, w- there wasn't like a big moment where the writing team decided that Lincoln should be black a Vietnam vet, and so on and so forth. But mm-hmm. as William Harms explains it, they wanted a character who would be the mo- would have the most conflict in this setting. As for every Mafia game, there were three pillars that defined the story, according to him. The character, the city, and the year. 
and they were all considered equal to each other. As a good example, though, of the collaborative and slowly built upon process, though, one of the key aspects of Lincoln is his ethnicity and race that comes off throughout the game, being half Dominican and half Italian. Uh, this apparently came about by just complete luck. Uh, the voice actor of another character, uh, Gordon Green, who plays the character Father James, said in a completely improvised line that Lincoln's mother is Dominican and his father is Italian. But it, it doesn't matter because if you're black, you're black. Mm -hmm. And the team liked this line so much they kept it in and worked around it. I really, Interesting. By the way, is, once again, as a side note, I really, really like this interview because it, uh -huh. it actually allowed me to like dig into this game more because like for the others, it's just like Dave Evolver being like, I didn't want the ending to be that way. <laughs> and like, that's it. Right. Like no elaboration. Whereas this one, it's like, okay, no, let's go into like the finer details and whatnot with this. Like it's really, right. really nice. Yeah. It's the actual documentation of like, how did things happen? How did this come about? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And that like level of like detail is going to continue as we get into why they even chose New Orleans in the first place or New Bordeaux in this case. Right. It, it's kind of weird how rarely the pro the creative process of making video games is documented. Oh, yeah. Like, it's even rare to this day. Yeah, it's like, these are massive projects with many millions of dollars and hundreds of people. And it's just like, I don't know, everyone goes into a room and then a video game comes out. Yeah, like, it's just all locked down until it happens. And then we credit it to, like, one or two people who just go, I don't know, I had an idea for... A, a lady and a drill man and you're like cool man that sounds got any more for us yeah nope all right nope. then <laughs> yeah so having this level of detail is very very nice so while the game did try to move away from the east coast and the kind of like and kind of the mob in general honestly it did still keep the mafia ties i mean the game is called mafia after all right by looking back into history so something that I sort of was aware of, but not really to this extent, was that New Orleans was a mob hotspot in the 60s. Hmm. In fact, from 1947 to 1983, the New Orleans crime family, a name that's a little on the nose. A little bit, yeah. Uh, was basically in charge of the organized crime scene there. I, I guess it still was before and after that, but this is like going to be a kind of like at the particular heyday because it's going right. to be led by a man by the name of Carlos Marcello. Now, to just tie up the crime family, uh, they're literally one of the oldest mafia families out there. Uh, they were created back in 1860, which is roughly around the time that a lot of the um, oldest fa like crime families, Italian crime families in uh, the East Coast were created. So mm -hmm. that's kind of neat. Uh, Marcello himself is a Sicilian man who basically just ran the New Orleans crime family with an iron fist. Mm. Uh, he was also an avowed enemy of the Kennedys. <laughs> <laughs> The man hated him some Kennedys, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> and to be fair, the feeling was quite mutual. Mm. So naturally, being the very upfront head of a New Orleans crime family, who um, everyone basically knew was the boss, but right. nobody could pin any sort of crimes on. Right. Uh, he was naturally subject to a lot of investigations and honestly kind of some petty actions on the account <laughs> of the Kennedy administration. <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine all that getting kind of annoying. Oh, yes. Like, they targeted him with multiple federal investigations. Uh, mm -hmm. Most that didn't really turn up anything. My particular favorite one was having him arrested and deported to Guatemala for some reason. Oh, oh okay. 
Yeah, this man was born in French Tunisia, for instance. Yeah. Just to throw that out there, uh, when it was called French Tunisia, not Tunisia. Mm-hmm. And as far as I know, he'd only been to Guatemala a few times. <laughs> <laughs> but they deported him there for ni- in 1961. And like he was there for a couple months, and he came back. And so then they charged him with another crime, conspiracy related to obtaining a false Guatemalan birth certificate and obstructing the U.S.'s right to, I guess, deport not Guatemalans to Guatemala. (laughs) (laughs) This Guatemalan birth certificate is false. Also, how dare you come back after we deport you to Guatemala? (laughs) Hmm. Yeah, it's it's pretty funny. Yeah, that's that's wild stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. So this made him absolutely hate the Kennedys to the point that when John F. Kennedy was assassinated in 1963, he became associated with the JFK conspiracy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is some, this is something that I had forgotten about, but uh, there is a surprising amount of evidence linking Marcello with both Jack Ruby and Lee Harvey Oswald. Now, a lot of this evidence comes from himself. <laughs> mostly saying shit. <laughs> So it's it's more him probably just lying, but yeah, no, that sounds more like yeah. I wish I did that. Yeah, he's like yeah. Now I mastermind this whole thing. Yeah, it's me and a Florida mobster. Yeah, now we totally put the thing together. Uh-huh. Yeah, fuck the candies. I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's listed in multiple biographies that allegedly he helped mastermind the assassination, but none of these allegations appear to be true. Uh, because pretty much all evidence points to the exact opposite, that the Harvey Oswald acted alone. Mm-hmm. And it's more that Marcello just kind of benefited from his adversary dying. Yep. Now, the reason why I'm bringing up Marcello an awful lot is because the main antagonist of Mafia 3, Sal Marcano, is based off of this real-life mob boss. Mm. Um, it's been mentioned that he's lightly based off of them. I think that's a lie. He is heavily based off of him <laughs> to the point of his likeness basically being repurposed. Now, he's also similar in the sense of not only how he looks, but how he viewed the rest of the Italian mafia. Uh, in game, Sal Marcano is basically trying to cut ties with the mafia and go legit. Mm-hmm. And also is just unhappy that the like the uh, East Coast Italian mafia even has a presence in his city at all. Mm. And that really mirrors Marcello's view of the mafia in general. He valued the independence of the New Orleans crime family to the point that he didn't, one, did not take orders for them. Mm-hmm. And two, made it a point to establish a policy that any out-of-state mafia members couldn't travel to New Orleans without his permission. Something, once again, that is reflected with how Sar- Sal Marcano treats the, uh, the mafia members that are in his town already in Mafia 3. So... Needless to say, there's a lot of, like, historical backdrop that is being placed in this game beyond this, the very vague of, well, there's an Italian mafia mm-hmm. in this that I actually find very, very fascinating. And once again, I think it really serves the plot of this game very well as mm-hmm. Lincoln Clay slowly builds his own criminal empire to rival Sal Marcano and drive him out of hiding so he can murder his ass. <laughs> now, while this game is going to get uh, multiple pieces of DLC including one where you go to a nearby parish and uh, basically just kind of help out a person in their weed farm. Mm. Another that where you just go on basically a CIA black op. (laughs) And another that I believe involves zombies. It involves the supernatural in some way. We will get into that eventually. Uh, Mafia 3, unfortunately, is not going to sell well. And by Mm. not sell well, I mean it's going to make a profit, but not 
a profit that 2K is going to enjoy. Right. Uh, the game also is going to review decently well, but mm-hmm. people are going to criticize the rather repetitive nature while also praising the plot, aka it's a mafia review. Right, yeah. This, yeah, this seems like literally every other mafia game to come out. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah, it's going to result in 2K being like, ah, oh, you know, maybe we shouldn't make any more mafia games. Uh-huh. And it's going to result in a follow-up to Mafia Fo- Mafia 3, a game called Mafia 4, that may or may not have taken place in Las Vegas in the 70s. It sort of depends on how much you believe Departed writer uh, uh, David Vavra. Mm-hmm. Uh, it basically decided they decided to go, uh, you know, we're just not gonna do that. Um, Hangar 3's follow-up game, a game that's gonna be called Volt, is was gonna be canceled by Take Two. Mm-hmm. And a lot of staff from Hangar 3 are gonna be laid off. And mm-hmm. it seemed like Mafia was going to be dead. Until 2020, when they're going to release the Definitive Edition, a game that's actually going to do pretty decently. And also, Hangar 13's good work helping to develop, uh, basically be like a side developer, a support studio for like the Borderlands series for a while. Uh huh. That eventually they're going to go, actually, maybe we should open up an additional studio in Brighton for y'all. And maybe you all should work on a new intellectual property. And by new intellectual (laughs) property, we mean a new mafia Mafia game. game. Like, what? I don't understand this cycle. Like, what yeah. do they think is going to happen? Yeah, right? I don't know. It's it's the same thing you did two times already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't quite understand either, but they, they claim they're going to do it. They're going to put out another game, and it's probably going to be a game that I'm going to absolutely love the story of. And I'm going to love a couple of elements, and then everyone else is going to hate it. Because <laughs> that's what Mafia does. Yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of the series. Mm-hmm. And yeah, next week we're going to be talking about the plots of these games, because once again, that's easily, easily the strongest thing about these games. As we talk about the plots of probably Mafia 1 and 2, and then talk about Mafia 3. So, Alex, how are you feeling? feel pretty good. This, this is an interesting series. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, very much so. Very much so. And one I'm definitely excited to talk about, like, is if, if nothing else, like, it, it is a series that, at least for a while, was trying something different from everyone else. Mm-hmm. And being at least mildly successful in its own right, instead of just being like, I don't know, let's be like true crime. Let's just let's copy Grand Theft Auto. Right, yeah. There were there were so many outright Grand Theft Auto clones that this one was actually like oh, no, it's more like narrative focused and immersion mm-hmm. focused. Yeah, yeah. It's more grounded. Yeah, and there's something there's something really nice about that. Yeah. Uh but- it, it's it's it is kind of something you see out of these Eastern European developers a lot, which is mm-hmm. like they're just trying a thing. They're trying a new thing with their own idea. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, that's, that seems interesting. Is this game good? Uh-huh. Yeah. But it is interesting. <laughs> yeah. And maybe eventually they'll get there. Like CG, right. CD Projekt Red with like the Witcher series, for instance. Yeah. Like that first, first game, interesting as hell. 
pretty bad. Pretty, yeah, no, it, it reminds me very much of The Witcher, with the exception of The Witcher 3, which is like, you talk to someone who played it, it's like, this is such an interesting game. It's crazy. Oh, wow, should I play it? No. 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 <laughs> no. Not, not if you want to basically go to every fight having to do literally all the prep work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it's... Yeah, I... It's really cool, like Eastern Eastern European developers like that, like yeah, like this Stalker, The Witcher, like mm-hmm. yeah, they they throw out so many interesting, weird stuff, like that you just can't help but uh, you just can't help but appreciate them, even if you know maybe maybe arguably stuff like Metro twenty thirty three isn't actually good, right? Uh, so yeah. But yeah, I'm excited to talk about this game next week. And hopefully you, the viewer, are also excited to listen to it next week. Or other episodes in this uh, particular podcast that we do that you can find at ftp.podbean.com or search for Fallen Through Potholes on your podcast service of choice. Uh, leave us a follow and you know, leave us a review as well. We really like knowing how well we're doing. But until next time, take care, everybody. Take care.